Hello there. He's no good to me, Dad. We're fine. We're all fine here. Now. How are you? I think you'll fill in nicely. This is where the fun begins. Now, today, we are extremely blessed to be joined by someone who is at the very start of it all. He has worked on a total of 53 films, including Superman, Highlander, and Krull, but perhaps most notably for the sets on the sets rather of A New Hope and especially Empire Strikes Back, where he and his team created the aesthetic of dozens of alien creatures and I'd say especially everyone's favorite green Jedi master. You may have heard of him, Yoda. Uh, he currently operates that Yoda guy movie exhibit in conjunction with his amazing Follow Your Star Foundation on the beautiful Dutch side of the island of St. Martin of the Caribbean. Well, please help me welcome that Yoda guy, Nick Maley. Nick, how are you today? I'm cool. You know, it's... Uh... It's like quarter to nine in the evening now, so you know it's it's how am I tonight, really? I think, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's it's always a little strange since the island is now um, sort of uh, devoid of ninety uh, percent of the tourists that we normally get. So, um, so my days are kind of caught up with making things and. Uh, and trying to sort sort through things, so uh, you know, I, I, it's uh, it's kind of different from when I saw you last. Certainly, certainly, that's uh, it's well, the world as we know is completely changed, and uh, I'm trying to find some positivity in that. We were just saying before the uh, before I hit record here how. I'm also, I, I was in the cru uh, cruise industry, we'll say beforehand, and uh, it really has forced me to kind of embrace the creative side. I've started a lot more uh, voiceover work and podcast editing and podcast producing, so really embracing that creative side of things. So uh, again, just trying to find the positive in all of this craziness and uh um, yeah, hopefully we get back on track sooner than later and uh, we can send more people to the incredible incredible exhibit that you have down there like i walked through there i think it was in 2016 i believe it was and um uh and you were gracious enough to again just like chat with my brother-in-law and i two guys just wandering off the street um we chatted with you for i think 20 minutes or so we were just asking you these bizarre questions like what was harrison ford like on set or what was it like to actually yeah, right. yoda created yeah. just and you were just so gracious yeah. and welcoming yeah. and warm yeah i think i think we're the I, I may be wrong but i think we're the only place in the world where someone can just wander in without paying um uh, you know, entrance for a convention or something and access a, a Star Wars alumni and ask questions about things and and get answers. You know, what I'm trying to do generally is inspire um, people to believe in themselves and follow their dreams and be all they can be. Uh, and And so, you know, that takes a degree of conversation to... Uh, to do that. I try to help people understand that they don't have to do what everybody else is doing. They don't have to live a life that's exactly the same. If, In fact, if I had lived a life like that, no one won't be coming to see me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so you know, that's that's the basic nature of it. Yeah, I, I know for me, Nick, like my, my day job is, is in a helping profession. 
And one of the biggest things we look at when we help people change their life is deciding who they want to be and actually being true to themselves. So to hear you speak about that and just the gift of giving people Star Wars is one of those things that uh, Pat and I talked. We've known each other for 20 years now, um, and we it's the thing we bonded over in high school. Um, it really brought us together as friends and to be able to offer something like you offer for people, like you said, to wander in and be able to connect and talk and ask questions. Um, it's an amazing thing. Really grateful for that. Well, yeah. And Nick, you just, you just humanized the process for us. Uh, like it was uh, like people think of Hollywood and they think of these large scale movies and it's almost like this it's placed on like this deity-esque kind of platform plateau that you think is just like completely impossible. Like, where do you even begin? But again, as you said, you just allow people to water in off the street and have access to, um, you know, your vast wealth of knowledge and history and, you know, your, your experience, as well as the artifacts large, that you have as well. A large part of this is just believing that it's possible. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things in my little book of big ideas, I say, you can't achieve what you don't believe. If you don't believe it, then you don't invest any time in it. And if you don't invest any time in it, it doesn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you know, I took, over the years, I've talked to lots and lots of people that have come in here. And I'm sure that it goes over the heads of 90% of them. And, uh, you know, there are some that wander out and think, who is this crazy guy, right? But I've had... <laughs> I've had two people who came in who wanted to work in movies and both worked on Rogue One. Get out. Wow. So, and wow. those were just people that wandered in and, and wanted to do it, but were just receiving a lot of negativity from other people that thought it was, you know, an impossible dream. And another quote from my book, I say, if you don't invest in your impossible dream, you're the one who guarantees it won't come true. Wow. Amen, Reverend. So Amen. true. Oh, sure. that's uh, it's it, but it's it's so true though, right? Yeah. It, like, if you just sit back and wait for it to happen, it's it's not going to get there. So, um, you know, I've uh, I had a childhood dream of being a uh, animation cartoon actor, um, and so it took me until I think I was, uh, thirty one, thirty two. I think it was before I finally said, well, first step is to, well, A, you know, do your homework and then just get a microphone and just start talking. Just start somewhere, put one foot after the other. And, uh, um, you know, it sounds like uh, uh, that's exactly the message that you're pushing and, and, you know, what a lot of people need to hear. Yeah, it's um, it, it's really First of all, you have to decide where you, you, you can't necessarily decide precisely what you want to do, because most people, you know, people when they start out, one of the one of the big problems, I think, uh, facing everybody in life is when they reach that point in their teens, when people start pushing them to make a decision about how they're going to spend the rest of their lives when they have absolutely zero experience to base their decision on. I mm -hmm. mean, so they're going to they're going to just kind of pick something that seems like a good idea 
But through that journey of heading in that direction, uh, I mean, how many people go to college and take, an, take a, a course that then when they leave co college, they completely abandon and they go do something else, right? Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> I mean, that happens, that happens all the time. And, um, and, you know, what I try to, what I try to uh, say to people is, have a rough idea of where you want to go. Build on what you've got that no one else has got because that makes you the red tree in the forest and you've got to stand yeah. out. It's no good being another green tree. And as you head in that direction, um, you know, just be open to networking and like a sailboat. A sailboat might go towards the wind but it can't go head into the wind it tacks this way it tacks that way eventually you'll get where you're trying to go just make the most of each uh, opportunity but do it in a practical way and the most practical thing that you have to understand is it's gonna be hard right. you know if you turn around and think, oh, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to come out, I'm going to be a famous movie director, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. Uh, as soon as, you know, the plan starts to fall apart, uh, you feel the world's ended and, and you've given up. If you know, if you understand from the very beginning that it's going to be hard and things are going to go wrong, and things are not going to work out the way that you thought they would, but you have basic principles of trying to get one centimeter closer to where you want to go every single day, not next week, not next month, but today. What are you going to do today that is going to get you one centimeter closer to where you want to go? So one little tiny thing, one tiny step at a time, moving mm -hmm. you towards where you want to go eventually you've got to get there it might well, take 20 years but you've yeah, got to get there it's uh it's it's like uh and i only know this because it was martin luther king day in the states the other day um we're canadian ourselves so uh, we see it through all okay. the social media and everything but uh what did martin luther king say he said if you can't um if you can't fly then jump if you can't jump then run if you can't run then walk if you can't walk then crawl just no matter what keep going forward but on that note, mm -hmm. Nick, uh, I'd love to know how you got how you got your start in um, special effects, which I believe part of our conversation when I first talked to you was that it was not called special effects back then. It was called makeup design or makeup artists. No, they would, not really. That's not really okay. quite right. You know, when you're making movies, there are different departments and you might think of them all as special effects. But actually, there are specialists in, in each area. The okay. guy who blows things up often is not, you know, is a specialist in that area. Uh, the guy, and he's not going to be the guy that's doing prosthetic makeup on, uh, you know, on, on Harrison Ford or somebody else, right? <laughs> I'd so hope not. <laughs> we're all, yes, exactly. Um, we, so we, we, uh, we were special makeup effects artists. You know, I started out as a makeup artist. When I was a, when I was a kid, 
I thought I'd be a comedian because comedians <laughs> were always top of the bill. So I was more interested in entertaining the other kids in the class than I was in in most of the uh, the, the exams I took. And and I you know I had uh, I realize now that I had learning disabilities that no one had put any handle on at that time, um, particularly being. Um, uh, I, I I won't say horribly dyslexic, but dyslexic enough not to be able to spell um, seventeen words out of twenty, um, and so I would I would keep failing all my English exams just because I couldn't put those things together. I'd have all the right letters; they'd just be in the wrong order, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I also had. Um, attention deficit where, you know, I just would sit in the class and it would all wash over me and I would kind of go into a daydream and, and you know, it just didn't, uh, it just didn't seem important to me. So um, my dad was an actor, so I did understand that you could live outside the box. And that, that was the first um, thing for me. Uh, you know, I, I would, I would, uh, he would do what was called summer season, which is like a cabaret show uh, for people that are on holiday. Um, and so, you know, did they go, they put on a show at a seaside resort or whatever else. And so he would do that. And then in the winter, he'd do ice shows. Uh, he was a singer and an actor. So, you know, he would, you know, sing for the, for Aladdin or whatever it was. And then he would voice one of the characters as well. So, um, cool. so, you know, I grew up partly, um, backstage and, and school didn't seem really terribly relevant to anything that I was doing. Um, when I was, uh, when, when in England at 11, they have a, a, or had an exam. I don't know if they still have it called the 11 plus and the 11 plus was where they decided whether you were a stupid kid or whether you were smart enough to go work in an office or a bank or something <laughs> like that. And so at 11, I failed all of those exams. <laughs> and uh, so they sent me to this really rough school um, for dummies. And um, and when I was 13, so I'd been there a couple of years, um, one of the teachers explained to me that all of these ideas that I had, all of these fanciful fantasies, as he put it, were a crock of nonsense. And that life really wasn't like that. That I was going to work in a factory and I was going to, I should take up woodwork and I should focus on metalwork because if I did that, maybe one day I'd get to be foreman in the factory. Mm. Well, high aspirations. Yeah. This came as a, as a kind of like a bolt of lightning to me, you know, because, um, it had never occurred to me that that you know the people who were supposedly teaching me and the people who were supposedly my leaders had already come to the conclusion of how I was going to spend the rest of my life mm-hmm. at thirteen years old and so um i i you know he said I needed to get serious, and I did I got serious to prove that he was completely wrong. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the principles that are in my little book are all about, um, how I went from, you know, from low income housing 
being a kid at 13 that was already written off to rubbing shoulders with movie stars and 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 doing the rest and and a lot of it is just about determination it's about believing in yourself i i um i thought well what do i have that i can excel at that none of the other kids have got I thought, well, you know, I hang out with actors. I'll, I'll do the drama thing, right? I gotta be, I gotta know more about that than the other kids, right? <laughs> so, so I did that first of all, and um, my form teacher had me starring in, uh, in a couple of school plays, uh, and then when I was fifteen, he, he wanted to put on a play that I found really, really incredibly boring, so I unilaterally declared that I was going to put my own play on. I didn't ask anybody. I just stopped going to his classes and sat in the main hall and figured all the stuff out for my play and did my whatever thing. And at 15, I produced my first play. And, you know, you know, it was a play with only four people in it. But along the way, I discovered, I discovered some other things as well. Well, what a sense of accomplishment, though, right? Like at that young of an age as well, just having that success and that like, ah, I can do it. Well, well, there was a lot more of of understanding what you can and you can't do, because, you know, (laughs) we go we go to school where we are all uh, packaged into a disciplined way of behaving. You know, we all have to follow the rules. We all have to do the stuff, you know, and, and a lot of it, you know, is um, it, it's not fun. I, I hated it at school. I, I, you know, they say school's supposed to be the best years of your life. You know, I was thinking to myself, God help me if this is the best of it, you know. Um, so our school, our school was such that um, once you came in in the morning, um, they locked all the gates so you couldn't get out. And wow. so, and they have barbed wire on the top of the gate so that anybody who tried to climb over the gate, you know, got screwed. There was only <laughs> one gate that wasn't locked, and that was the front gate. And the, and the school was like a horseshoe. And um, so all the classes looked into this garden area, and there was a long path that went to the front gate. And to get to the gate to go onto that path, you had to go past the headmaster's office. So I'm putting on my own play, and I thought, oh, I need some, I need some props. I need to get some stuff for my play. So I figured if anybody stopped me, I would, um, I'd say, yeah, I'm going to town. I'm going to buy some stuff for my thing. So I walked straight past the headmaster's office. I went out into this little road. I walked down the pathway where every other class has got big windows facing this pathway. <laughs> I went out through the front gate and I went to town and I bought my stuff and I came back again. And nobody said a word because if you look like you should be doing something, yeah. <laughs> everybody assumes that you should be doing it. I mean, who would who would be so stupid as to walk past everybody to you know to go out? So after that, I did it every week. I mean, you know, I just kept on doing my stuff. My play was was pretty good, 
I'm sure it wasn't brilliant, but you know, <laughs> it was good for for that <laughs> school standard. And I discovered that um, that I could number one achieve something, and number two, um, I could get away with things that I didn't know that I could get away with. I just needed to have confidence in myself confidence in what I was doing and a good backup story so you know that was it that was that was how I that was how I got through when in in that particular school in England um, if you were going to a dummy school then you left school at 16 that was it you went to you went to work in the factory at 16 right. so um, I had kind of um, from 13 up to 16 I had um, I had shown them all that I was worthy of more than they thought I was at 13. So I went on to like a college of FE and further education. And while I was doing that, I started a drama society because it worked for me at school. I did it again. We put on, we wrote our own reviews and, and other things. And I had such a good time at college. I didn't want to leave. So I just kept on signing up for another year. You know, I'd say, <laughs> oh, well, I haven't taken those courses. Let me take those. Oh, no, I really don't want to go to work. No, no, no I really don't want to do that. Um, anyway, during that, during that time, because I I was doing these drama things, I had learnt stage makeup from my dad. My dad was teaching stage makeup at drama school, as part time when uh, when he wasn't doing other shows, and uh, and so uh, when I was fourteen, I earned pocket money at the end of term by helping him teach the the much older students at drama school how to do their makeup for the end of term productions so he's got 40 people no, 20 to 30 people that he's got to teach how to do their makeup for a particular show in two hours and so he would go round and do the designs and I at 14 would wander around behind him and say, no, 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 you don't sharpen an eyebrow pencil like that. And no, 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 you, you, look, you can't mix those two colors together. That's going to turn gray. Makeup's going to get all muddy, right? You're going to do whatever. Right. So, um, and, you know, I think all of those things help to give me a sense of a sense of confidence um, when really, if I knew as much as I knew know today, I'd realize that I shouldn't have had any. But, you know, that's the, that's the way of it. Another thing in my book, I say, you know, that one of the benefits of youth is that you don't know enough to know that you shouldn't be able to do what you just achieved. <laughs> oh, I that's like awesome. that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you I'm know, a tattoo uh, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the bottom line is, as you get older, you know all the things that can go wrong, and consequently, right. you allow all of those things to stop you from doing what you wanted to do. You know, there is a time where you just have to take your courage in both hands. A bit like being a sailor, you go off to sea. You know, the boat could sink. But if you if you think about that, you never get off the dock, right? You've yeah. got to um, you've got to just take your courage in both hands and and go for it and and that that paid well for me in in different movies that I made. So when I was seventeen, uh, I got home uh, earlier than my mum and my dad, and the phone rang and it was someone who wanted a makeup artist 
to do a job at the Royal Albert Hall. I don't know if you guys have ever been to England, but the Royal yeah. Albert Hall is a big, prestigious, very, very prestigious concert hall um, built for Queen Victoria's uh, cohort, um, her husband. Um, and they didn't know they were talking to a 17 year old. So I discussed the job. I told them what they needed. I uh, asked them to send me the photographs of the people that they wanted me to work with. I negotiated the, 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 the price for the job. I charged three times what my dad would have charged. And, um, and so my first professional job was at 17 as the head of the makeup department at this show at the Royal Albert Hall. And I, I asked my dad to come along and, you know, as my assistant, just to make sure I didn't get into too much trouble. Um, but in the program, it was, you know, Nick Maley and Len Maley, you know, assisted by Len Maley. So that <laughs> wow. was the first job. So my dad had worked on, you know, I, I also realized at about this time, sorry if this is too long a story. Oh, this is beautiful. You, but, um, <laughs> When I was, you know, when I was young, I had this idea I'd be a performer. When I got to 17, I realized that people had been lying to me and that I wasn't going to be tall and handsome. And that, you know, <laughs> if I was going to be a performer, I was going to be unemployed most of the time. So I decided, <laughs> well, maybe I should make the most of this, this makeup thing. It's something that I've got that other people don't have. Certainly, people my age, you know, uh -huh. I, I should, um, you know, I, I knew from theater that there were very, an opera company might have a makeup artist who did the makeup for the people for the show. And most theaters didn't do that, and they were all badly paid. So I thought, well, working in movies would be better, and it's more glamorous, you know. Um, so I wrote to the people who made movies, and I said, um, you know, I'm I'm 17 and I just did a job at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, so I must be a whiz kid. Um, give me a union ticket so I can make movies. They didn't bother to reply. You know, it was just like. <laughs> so a little later, my dad got sick. And to make sure that the jobs were still there for him when he got better, I left the college that I was in and I started taking over all his classes. So I was teaching at drama schools and at uh, Middlesex University when I was 18 years old. Again, <laughs> just about, you know, if anybody stopped and asked me, you know, are you qualified to do this? What the hell could I say, you know? But no, <laughs> it was, you know, a degree of BS, believe in yourself. Make it look like you're supposed to be there, and right. people will just make space and let you do your thing. It's like uh, so, catch me if you can. That's yeah. uh, almost, almost. <laughs> Only in a little so bit of I started. <laughs> so I I started to uh, teach at, at college, and I thought, well, I got to make the best. I got to make the most of this. So I I wrote to the people who made movies again. And I said, look, I'm 18 years old. I'm teaching at Middlesex University. I got to be a whiz kid, you know, you <laughs> should resume. give me a union ticket, <laughs> give me a union ticket so that I can make movies. Well, this time I got an answer. I got this letter. I was really excited. I got this letter and I opened it up and it said, thank you very much for your information. We've got it on file. 
if we need anyone, we'll be in touch with you, which is really the same thing as saying, please don't write to us again. (laughs) And, you know, at that point, most people would say, well, I gave it a shot. Yeah. You know, I tried. Yep. I wrote to them. They said they would call me if they needed anything, but I guess they didn't need anything because they never called me, right? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I'm telling you lots of things that are in my book, so forgive me for that if it sounds like oh, a plug. Oh no, this but, is a great uh, you know, One of the things that one of the things that I I say there is that people who fail are the ones who give up, right? If you yeah. if you don't give up, if you keep banging on the door, eventually the people on the other side of the door are so sick of the noise that they <laughs> that they let you in, right? So um, instead of giving up, uh, my dad had worked on a movie called Oliver. I got him to to find out from the people who were the makeup artists looking after those uh, those uh, actors. Um, Where they held the union meetings, you know? So so I found out that they held the union meeting on the same date every month so that no one could forget what day it was. It might be a different day of the week, but it was always the same. I can't remember, the third of the month or something like that. And they held it at this pub in, in, in London. So I went and I showed up at their union meetings every month for two years until they knew I wasn't going to go away. (laughs) And eventually, when there was a surge in the film industry and they were short of people, I was one of 10 makeup artists that they took into the business in a 15-year period. So there were were 10 of us that were let in 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 15 years. So perseverance you know talent is all well and good perseverance is what succeeds mm-hmm. you you don't have to be the most mm-hmm. talented guy you have to be the one that's still standing when everybody else gave up so that was how i got my union ticket and that you know a lot of people would say wow that's it that's the end of the story but it's not actually it's uh, it's really just the beginning of the story because <laughs> given given 3 weeks um you know, they, they, the, what they needed me to do uh, on, on the first movie that I made was with Charlton Heston and Christopher Lee and um, a bunch of other famous people. And so I thought, this is it. I've made it. I'm here. Uh, three weeks later, well, they didn't need me anymore. I, they, they, hey, here I am. I'm unemployed. And, <laughs> uh, and so, um, you know, I very quickly discovered what it is to be a freelance worker and to just be sitting by the phone, waiting for the phone to ring. And so I had a new set of issues. Instead of trying to just break into the film industry, now I needed to find who were the teams of people that I needed to network with in order to be one of those guys that was working more than one of the guys that was sitting at home. And once again, you know, perseverance is what succeeds. And I, one of the people that I targeted was Stu Freeborn, who had uh, built the apes for 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, again, being unconventional, I, I um, 
I used to get a periodical. Um, you know, back then we didn't have the internet, so you know, you didn't know what was happening where or how it was, right. you know, what things were happening. Uh, you know, but I got an industry. Um, it was like an industry magazine paper saying, and it told of all the different films that were being made and where they were being made and who were the heads of department in each department, etc. And so I would see where Stu was working. Um, and I, I would just, um, I'd save up my pennies and I'd, uh, I'd go to the studio, um, uh, where I knew he was working and I would just walk through the gate like I was supposed to be there. I'd go <laughs> early in the morning when I knew everyone was arriving. Um, if anyone stopped me, I'd wave my union card at them and said, oh yes, I'm working with Stu Freeborn today which wasn't true at all. And then once I got into the studio, <laughs> I would, I'd wander around and I'd hang out until lunchtime. And then I'd go to the canteen and I would wait for him to come into the canteen and I would buy a cup of tea and I'd go sit on his table and I would start a conversation just so that he knew who I was. I would go to the union meetings, even though I really didn't have anything to contribute. I would stand up and say something. Didn't really matter how stupid it was. I would stand <laughs> up and say something because when you stood up, the, the chairperson would call your name out and everybody in the room would know, oh, he's the new guy, Nick Maley. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, it was just about yep. people getting to know me. So that that one time when they when their old friends were not working, or their friend friends were working, and they needed someone, and they pebbled up the list of who was unemployed, my name would stand out because I was that weird kid who'd sat on the table and talked to them and done. You're familiar. You're in their face, yeah. literally. So, exactly. Uh, yeah, in in the face, top of mind, right? So, so that was how I got uh, to work with Stu the first time, which was on a movie called um, Young Winston about Winston Churchill, and um, and wow. he gave me two days work, I guess, uh, doing beard work to find out if I was any good. Um, Try out kind of thing. Right now. Once again, while I was while I was uh, unemployed, I could have just sat and watched the television. Um, but that getting one centimeter closer to where you want to go every day made me at least sit and dress beards or practice art or do something that was going to improve my creative skills while the television was on in the background or whatever else. And, um, and one of the things that I had done, I'd managed to get a, a false beard off of one of the, one of the shows. And so uh, for six months, I spent all my time with a book of, of a hairstyle uh, and beard book, period beards, <laughs> dressing this same beard. I'd wash it, make it all wet and scraggly, and then I'd make it a Sikh's beard, and then I'd make it another beard, and then I'd make it something else, and then I'd make it something else. So when he gave me this job working on uh, the House of Commons in 1880, I knew what I was doing. And so, you know, you don't want to ever be, uh, you know, a normal anything. Um, the first chapter in my book says, um, 
You can't live an exceptional life by being normal. The two things are at odds with each other. And so when you get to be qualified for something, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer or whatever else, well, now you're you're joining a new group of normal. In my case, I was makeup artists. You know, what was normal for the makeup artists, uh, especially those ones that were dealing with the crowd, um, was that they would they would, you know, come in in the morning, they get the people ready, they get them on set and then they'd sit around and tell stories and eat bacon sandwiches and drink <laughs> cups of tea. Um, get that catering table. Good stuff. Yeah. What I would do is, on these two days that he gave me, I would get my guys uh, ready and on the set. And then as soon as I got on the set, I would pull the people I'd worked on out one at a time, sit them down, and do a more complex makeup on them to turn them into classic kind of characters, you know? I'd say, well, I've got a beard and whatever else, but this guy smokes too much and he smokes on this side. So this side of his moustache has got, you know, bits of yellow staining and, huh, and various other things. And he's, you know, and I would, so I would turn them into characters. The other makeup artists that were working with me, they got really pissed. Um, uh-huh. You know, one guy called Ernie, he said to me, look, you can't do that. He said, if you do that, they'll expect us to do it too. <laughs> you're gonna make us work harder to yeah make right your, your ex, uh excellent talent yes right <laughs> um well uh, by the second day all my characters were being pulled out of the crowd and put in front of the crowd because they're more interesting behind so the main actors and instead of working with him for two days i worked with him for 16 weeks and we went on location <laughs> to morocco and 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 made you know the moroccan army look like whirling dervishes and english lancers and uh, wow. uh, and other things so during that time i uh, i befriended stu's son graham who's an unsung hero of uh, of star wars people never talk about him and um a lot of the characters in the moss eisley cantina were characters that he sculpted um but you know Stu always kind of hogged the the um the publicity and so you know even his son didn't really get a lot of uh, a lot of mention so mm-hmm. um so something else in my book i say you know you have to focus on the little jobs as well as the big jobs because the little jobs lead to big jobs and you know you might think that this is a a, a natty little thing and it doesn't really amount to anything but give it 120% anyway because you know Certainly. that job I did. I, you know, I was there for two days working on characters in the background that were sitting, you know, up in stalls in 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 the in the houses of commons. You know, you could say, well, it's a nothing job, but I, you know, I made something of it. And in the same way, um, I really wanted to do. Uh, I, I get bored easily. Maybe that's my attention deficit. I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't <laughs> want to spend all my time making pretty people look prettier. It's much more interesting to make pretty people look pretty ugly. And so I would, uh, you know, I wanted to to stretch my wings. I wanted to go further than that. But Stu wasn't employing me as a as a makeup effects artist. He was employing me as a makeup artist. Um, but his son, Graham, was getting commercials. And one of the commercials that he got was with Donald Pleasance. 
um, for a for a, a, a lager ad which took place in a pub that was filled with horror characters. So Frankenstein was there and the mummy was there and the werewolf was there and Quasimodo was there. And um, so I helped Graham make those characters in his front room. Um, and we went and did that, that particular commercial, just a little one day commercial. Um, actually, we shot about three of them in the end. But um, so, you know, again, you could say not an important job. But when uh, Stu got Star Wars and and was because he built the apes for 2001 A Space Odyssey and Chewbacca was really based on the work that that technology. Um, well, they couldn't find enough people to do to do the job to create all these characters from Moss Eisley Cantina. And Graham suggested to Stu that he should give me a shot, right? The little job led to, to the, big job. the big thing the big that one. ultimately, you know, none of us thought that movie was going to be anything, you know, that <laughs> special. You know, this is this is that was this... one of our questions. We were going to say, did you actually think that it was going to be as big as it was no. when you started? This is this is the 70s. OK. And right. we're making a movie about gunslingers and wizards in space. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Right. You know, who That's is going is. to take that seriously? Yeah. Honestly, right? Um, you know, we thought, oh, it's some kind of boys' own kids, teenagers thing. Um, and But you still give it 120%. Because you're a freelance worker, and who knows, there might be somebody there who who later on, you know, gives you a break. In yeah. in the same way, um, one of my one of my guests on um, Starnet in a, in a few weeks is going to be one of my old colleagues, Colin Arthur, who was doing Ray Harryhausen movies, and um, I worked with him on a couple of uh, jobs. One of which was. Um, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. I think that was about 1973. And uh, we had the two tallest guys in England who um, came to Colin to get their feet cast so that they could get their shoes made on the national health because their feet were so big you couldn't wow. buy shoes. <laughs> and one of those guys was Peter Mayhew. And <laughs> Right. Awesome. And so, uh, and he wasn't the tallest guy. The the uh, you know, he was seven foot two, and and the, the other guy, his name I think was Chris. Um, he was uh, seven foot six. So, but he wow. was an accountant, so he didn't want to work in movies. So when Colin <laughs> was doing Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, he got um, he got Peter to play the Minotaur. Interesting. Didn't get to see him. Who is he? You know, he's just a thing there rowing, you know? Right. <laughs> Another kind of nondescript sort of job. I think he was the um, the Cyclops Trog type character as well. Okay. Um, but the, the uh, production supervisor and myself both went to work on Star Wars and we recommended him to play the part of Chewbacca. Oh, you no know? kidding. It's about networking. It is about 100%. Yeah, it's about yeah. making the most of those contacts. In my book, I say 
look, there's always those people in your class or those people at work that you think are a waste of space. There's always going to be someone that you think is a nerd or, what, or whatever else. But, you know, it's the nerds that change the world. It's Absolutely. not the it's not the guy on the on the on the basketball team, you know. Uh, you know they 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 might be good on, at what they do, but they aren't they aren't the ones that change the universe. The universe is changed by those weird characters that do something that no one else is doing, and um, and uh, you know in the in the same way, just network with everybody. You might not like you might think that guy says stupid things. Be nice to him. Take pity on him if you like. Say he hasn't got any friends. I'll be his friend, right? Because you don't know. In 10 years, he might be the one guy who turns around and says, this was the only person who was nice to me when I was at school. I'm going to give him the job, right? 100%. 100%. Network, network, uh... network, network, network. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, no, it's, uh, there's two know. things I'm hearing from you, like very specifically. One is networking because you just said it. Um, and the other, I think it was Mark Twain that had said, don't let school interfere with your education. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and just everything. That's a great quote. Yeah. Everything yeah. you have said just speaks to that of how, you know, you take what you kind of need and you leave the rest and you treat people with respect and you never know when you're going to get your opportunity just by doing, being a good person. Well, you know, talking about school, you know, it's a, it, it is several interesting elements there. I don't know whether we should be diverging like this, but, um, uh, you know, people put so much emphasis on, on school and I'm not saying it's not uh, education isn't important. It is important. Um, but you know, people have been pushed to make a decision at too early an age on what it is they're going to do for the rest of their life. They're heading in a direction they don't know whether it's really going to work out for them. They get all kinds of focus on you've got to get this grade and this grade and this grade and then you're going to pass this and then you're going to get that and then you'll get your degree or you or whatever it is. Um, do you know of all the exams that I passed at all the time that I that I extended my education i got all these certificates i didn't have one person who ever asked me to show them my certificates i so could true. have gone so i true. could have gone out and said oh yes i've got a master of arts in uh, you know in in whatever you know i have a bachelor of science in physics you know i could, i could have said anything right no one ever asked me. I, you know, it, it was, it just never, it just never came up. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the exams that I did pass, I passed because I learned how to pass exams rather than learning the subject. <laughs> exactly. And that's, <laughs> uh, that, that's the, that's the flaw in the modern education system is the, it's who's the best regurgitator as opposed to who can consolidate and understand and, uh, you know, apply practically that information that you're getting. So, uh, and the best way to do the, what I just said, the latter, I think is, as you're saying, just real world experience. And if you don't have it, then as you've said as well, fake it till you make it. And just yeah, kind of that, that, that really rough school that I said that I went to, it had three tiers. Okay. So each year had an A stream, a B stream and a C stream. 
remembering that these are the even the A stream people are people who failed all their exams when they were <laughs> eleven, right? Okay, so the C stream people were really the dregs of society <laughs> for their age, right? The beauties, as we call them. In yeah,、Canada. right. Yeah. So there was there was this one guy. I don't remember what his name was. Who was like at the bottom of the C stream, you know? He was considered to be virtually uneducatable, and he went through school and he got to sixteen and he left, and his, you know, he 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 was so bad he really had trouble even getting a job in a factory, right? So、yeah. eventually, he answered an ad that someone had put in to go clean carpets for people in their houses. That was something that you know people would do. They they would give you a van and a cleaning machine, and you know they would get paid, and they would pay you a percentage, and you would go to the house and actually do the job. So you know he went round and cleaned people's carpets. Once they'd shown him how to do it, it wasn't it wasn't rocket science, okay? Right, right, right. By the time he was twenty six. He owned twenty vans and had twenty people working for him,、wow. cleaning carpets. And he sat in the office and watched TV while they went out and did all the work. Right? Yeah. It's, it's about it's... recognizing opportunities. It's about、mm. analyzing things. And don't ever come out and say, "Well, I'm sorry, I I can't do that." You know, if you're、mm-hmm. good, don't ever say you can't do something. You, if you want to, you can say I can't do that yet.、Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah,、right? I like that. Yet, because you're capable of doing anything. I wasn't a good artist until I was in my twenties.、Uh, I wanted to be an artist because I thought, you know. Oh, I'd like to be an artist, but you know, I just thought it was a—it <laughs> was a romantic image, probably. Certainly.、Um, but I wasn't any better than anybody else.、Uh, when I was unemployed, rather than watching TV, I decided that if I focused on doing portraits and got to be a better artist, it would make me a better makeup artist. One centimeter closer every day to where、every、you're trying、day. to go, right? Yep. And yep. so,、um, I, so I set myself this goal, and every day I would do、uh, four drawings in in six hours, and the one that I liked the best I could finish. In six months, I was a good enough artist that people were asking me to do ex- exhibitions. <laughs> it was because I had done it. Day after day after day after day, and I'd made all the mistakes, and I had figured out how not to do it. Right? The、Apply、people those... who fail, the people who fail, are the ones who give up. It comes、right. back down to those same little catchphrases. Like you're, you're talking about opportunity, Nick, and what I'm kind of curious into is the opportunity. So we we'd be regretful if we didn't talk about Yoda,、um, okay? And your Your experience working on Yoda and the opportunity to work on Yoda, how that came to be,、um, and frankly, like where did the inspiration come for the character Yoda? Like, where was the inspiration to design that character? Okay, well, first and first and foremost,、um, 
when you when you gave me such a wonderful glowing uh, introduction, you kind of made it sound like I, you know it was me and my team. It wasn't actually the case. I was part of Stu's team, so you know I was one of the guys. But right. uh, let me let me just uh, put that in proper context. When we started on the first Star Wars movie, I was the new kid in the in the creature workshop. And so no one trusted me to give me a solid character that was mine. I worked on bits of characters. So I made the eyes for a lot of right. the characters that are in the uh, Mos Eisley Cantina, these... Uh, uh, Stu had this concept of just putting like dark eyes over in it, shelves in um, in things that uh, so it was dark inside and you couldn't see the eyes of the people inside and so you'll see they don't have moving yeah. eyes they've just got kind of like bead eyes and um, it was snowing outside um, huh. it, it, we uh, we had this cold snap and uh, you know this. This we were using compressed um, air and an oven, and they had made a, a kind of little space for it. Maybe because they thought being a compressed tank, it wasn't safe inside. They had to put it outside. So they converted a a space that I think originally probably held three dustbins. And, um, you know, wow. and so no one else wanted to work outside. So Nick can go do that. Yeah, yeah let's, let's send him out. <laughs> send the new guy. So that's how, yeah, so it's not really like I was so brilliant that they decided I had to make all the eyes. It's just that no one else wanted to go out there. So, you know. You're then, doing the little um, jobs until you get the big job, right? You do the little jobs until <laughs> right. you get the big jobs, yes. And uh, tested me, they, you know, they tested me on, on sculpting by giving me yeah, hands to sculpt because they were very short on hands. Uh, Graham was knocking out a lot of these characters like Snaggletooth and, and, uh, and others. Um, he was sculpting those in a day or a day and a half at the most. And so I was sitting there. I they they had this fly character uh, called Spizit or something of that nature. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, although didn't have that name at the time, they all had what I'd call nursery names when we were working with them. And so I was sculpting sucker hands for the fly character, um, which ultimately got used for Pondo and all sorts of other. Um, characters in the mm, in the cool. thing, so I was doing that. Um, I Graham was needed to be sculpting, and he had been doing the foam latex. So I worked with him to help him with the foam latex. And by the time we were halfway through that production, I took over all the foam latex work to free him up to do wow. sculpting. So I was making skins for Chewbacca and um, and some of those other characters. Uh, making warts for Greedo and the tussled, tasseled mohawk that went over his head, but you know I was the new kid on the block. I was I was a lowly junior, if you like. Um, when we left that, uh, we did a job for Gene Roddenberry, a really bad pilot for a, for a, a series that never took off, and um, then we went on to Superman and Superman Two. And so it was like three years later when we came back to Empire Strikes Back. And by that time, I'd been working with Stu 
a lot of the time. And so when we got the new team together for Empire Strikes Back, instead of being, you know, the new kid on the block, I was actually one of the three most experienced people on the team. <laughs> okay? Sure. So it's it's important to understand that when I when I as I as I progress with this. So um instead of having this tiny little room that we had to build the creatures for the Mos Eisley Cantina, they'd made all this money and they gave us this big workshop. Uh, really it was a complex. We I we had a separate room for the for the foam uh work that was my domain i was the guy making uh, you know the foam skins for the ugnaughts and i knew i was going to make uh, the skins for for, for yoda and i uh, prepared all the molds for yoda and Stu and i poured yoda's head um i poured yoda's ears and his hands and his feet because they weren't considered to be as important i mean it spent four Five months deciding what Yoda was going to look like. This was a right. this was something of a nightmare. Um, we had <laughs> ten months. We had ten months to prepare instead of five weeks to prepare for the Mos Eisley Cantina. We had ten months to prepare and um, and film. So we had to, you know, at least I think it was considered three months of that was going to be filming. So we had seven months to prepare. And they spent five months deciding what Yoda was going to look like. <laughs> and so suddenly, you know, we were thrown into this sense of turmoil of now rush, 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 get, make the molds, do the stuff, make the skins, get the stuff out. Uh, Stu had his own little room instead of us all being in this one uh, you know, tiny room. And he was working on Yoda and Yoda was his baby. And um, Graham and I were, were building the Wampa. Um, and uh, there was also the, the head of the Tonton, animatronic head of the Tonton that was in the main workshop. And we were doing life cast for hand soloing carbonate and other stuff. Oh, and cool. as soon as we started filming, Graham went down on set as the chief makeup artist. So Stu is a designer. He's in his room. Graham is down on the soundstage. I'm the most experienced guy left in the workshop. <laughs> you're you're the head honcho all of a sudden. Right? Suddenly, you know, I'm not the new guy. I, we've got all these new guys come in and they're all looking to me for me to tell them what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. Okay. So, um, as they progressed and it had been deciding that Yoda was going to be a glove puppet and they started to talk to the Muppets about operating them and, and stuff like that. It suddenly got kind of insecure about the fact that they were never going to see Yoda's legs. Because if you think of the Muppets, you always see them from, you know, either the, the hips up or at best, you know, the, a long dress and the knees up, right? Mm -hmm. You oh, don't yeah. see Yoda's feet, work, you know, the feet working. Mm -hmm. And so they asked Stu if he could build a walking Yoda for a long shot. It's not really important, just for a long shot, so we can see him walking through the trees. Well, Stu was desperately trying to make a mechanism in the last two months uh, for the world's first animatronic superstar. No one had ever, ever made a, a 
major feature as a puppet in a full movie, in a big movie, right? No one had ever done that. And so he had a lot of pressure on him. So he was in his room, you know, working on that all the time. And he said, no, we, we don't have the staff. We, uh, and we don't have the time to do it. You'll have to do something else. So who did they come to? They came to the guy who was running the workshop for him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's me. Okay, <laughs> right. So, out of the frying pan, into the fire. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. And so they said, do you, can you figure out some way that you could make, you know, an animatronic walking um, Yoda? So I said, <laughs> not something yet. Else, something else that is in my book, something else that is in my book is um, uh, sorry, I've lost track of what I was saying. Um, yeah, can you make a, 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 um, a, a walking Yoda? Um, you know, don't ever turn down an opportunity. You know, when an opportunity comes, you can honestly say, um, oh, God. If I try to do this and I fail, people will laugh at me. If I if I just play safe, I'll get through the job and they'll employ me on another job. If I try to do something outside the box and I fail, I'm going to be the guy who failed. And so fear is the self-doubt is the worst enemy that you have. You know, you, you people, 100%. people are scared of standing out in a crowd. Mm -hmm. Well, I say, if you don't believe in yourself, who the hell else is going to believe in you? Right. So I, I said, um, excuse me, let me just ask you this. Why are we talking about animatronic walking Yodas? Because if Yoda is in the scene on his own, and nobody knows how tall the trees are, he could be any height. Right. It's all about perspective. So why don't we take, why don't we do a, a false perspective, make an a oversized Yoda, put it on one of the little people, and guess what? His legs work. And we don't have to make mechanical anything. So huh. I, I, that was the first one that I did. Um, and they must have thought I was all right because they got their shot. It's the shot of Yoda walking through the trees, waving at, uh, at Luke to follow him. Right. And, um, wow. and so they thought I was okay. So <laughs> then they decided that they needed a animatronic, uh, well, a radio controlled Yoda to go into Luke's backpack because yes. believe it or not, you can't get four puppeteers in a backpack. Their It'd legs stick out, It'd right? Be yeah? <laughs> yeah. It just yeah. doesn't just kind of work. Just yeah. a little. So guess who they came to? They came to me and said, um, what about radio control, Yoda? Well, I hadn't done any radio control. Actually, at that point in time, I hadn't built any mechanisms either, <laughs> right? And, you know, I just worked around. You know, I say keep it simple. Um, you know, try to try to find something that if you 
looked at it from a, a, a new perspective, you wouldn't recognize it and people would think you invented something new. So, you know, just try to, right. just to look. If, you, if you're stumped, just sit down, stay calm, think about it. So I said, well, look, I, I really don't have the experience to do the radio controls, but I, I could do the assembly. So we've got up, these yeah. guys in the special effects department who are making little robots that are running around on the floor. Get them, you know, we give them the shell, get them to get a bit of head movement and a bit of jaw movement, maybe arms that come up that can be positioned and maybe some finger movement. And I will put the skins on it and make sure that it's artworked and it's done. It looks real. So yeah, that was the second. Yeah, that was the second one that I got into. So by that time, Stu is still working on the on what we now call prototype Yoda. Um, but I've already got the other two finished and they and they're <laughs> done. So the the production was thinking I was an okay guy, you know. <laughs> um, Getting those stuff. So finally, finally, we come down to uh, to filming Yoda and. Um, they're filming in Yoda's hut, and um, Stu was trying to make a really complex, super lightweight mechanism that could be taken out of the out of the um, out of the skull, so that if there were any problems, it could just go in, take the skin off, unscrew it, pull it out, fix the problem, put it back in again, keep going. Um, but one of the, the complex issues, first and foremost, eyes looking left and right and up and down are a hell of a lot harder than eyes that look left and right. Eyes left and right is just like putting a pin through eyeballs and swiveling them one way or the other. Any, any, any third grader could probably figure that out. Um, trying to get eyeballs that look up and down, suddenly that eyeball's got to pivot from the center of the eyeball. Wow. And you're putting eyelids over it that are in a space that on the outside of Yoda's, between Yoda's eye and his skin, uh, the corner of his eye and his skin, it's like a quarter of an inch. And you're trying to put the eyeball in and the eyeball, the mechanism in, and then on top of that, Frank wanted his hand to pass through the middle of the mechanism so that he could get his middle finger to Yoda's eyebrows. <laughs> so the mechanism Jeez. had to have a big hole in the middle to do it. So Stu was made this mechanism wow. that was shaped like the top of Yoda's head and the, and the mechanism kind of went in a curved shape. I'm waving my arms around and people listening on radio kind of <laughs> understand what I'm doing. But, you know, it would go up into the dome of his head and then come back down to the eyes. So it left the area clear. And, uh, you know, he was he was working himself to death to try and get it ready on time. He went Yoda went down on the set. And periodically, he would he would lock up. They're also trying to get used to the puppet, um, and so uh, you know we have uh, Mark talking about how he had to try and keep a straight face when Yoda would be doing some insane thing um, <laughs> because they hadn't got the controls right, or because the mechanism was breaking down. Well, certainly. And and so every time every time the mechanism seized up. 
and the and the puppet went out for two hours for Stu to take the skin off, take the mechanism out, unlock it, put it all back together again, put it back on again. You know, they were losing a lot of money. And so they came to that little guy in the workshop. <laughs> that Yoda guy. <laughs> that Yoda guy in the workshop. And um and they said to me, um, look, do you think you could build a backup Yoda? Um, you know, whatever you can make in three days. Um, because, you know, even if it's just got working ears, if it's just the shape of Yoda and it's got working ears, then we can shoot on the back of it and we can shoot on Mark. You look at the scene of Mark talking to Yoda. Yoda's not there most of the time, you know? Right. You just got a single. It's normal if two people are having a conversation. You look over the person's shoulder so you see the person he's talking to. Yoda's not there most of the time. There's a right. couple of shots where he is. It's because the puppet was up in the workshop being unlocked <laughs> and brought, you know, brought down again. <laughs> so they said, you know, just get it to do whatever you can, but do it as quick as you can. Yeah, I remember I, I watched that um, uh, that interview you had uh, through your Starnet. I'll plug that, the Starnet Facebook group. Uh, okay. The Galaxy That Britain Built. That's what yes. it was. It was yes. your interview with uh, David Whiteley. I wrote That's that name right. down on here. Um, yeah. uh, absolutely brilliant. And it almost brought a tear to my eye when you were talking about uh, um, how well, you created this other puppet and then yeah. what it was doing. And when you saw that on set, like, I, was, I was... Yeah, I was determined that I was going to make the most of the opportunity. So I, uh, something else that's in my book, you know, pr you know, if you think you can deliver 100%, then, you know, promise them 60%, right? Yeah. And shoot for 120%. Boom. Right? If you deliver anything that's more than 60%, they think you're great because you gave them more than you said you would. Absolutely, yeah. You know what Over you're delivered. shooting for. When you shoot for 120%, when you miss the 120%, there's every chance you'll hit 100%, right? You, you're, 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 you're just stretching yourself. So I decided I was going to try to make a puppet that would do everything that they wanted the puppet to do. And mm. whatever failed, whatever didn't work, I'd pretend that I hadn't expected it to do that right <laughs> Ooh, a happy accident <laughs> yeah right so i got one of the trainees to uh, to stay with me and we worked straight for three days and three nights and uh, we built the puppet that you see in in uh, 80 percent of yoda's scenes it was not a it wasn't a nice mechanism it was the first mechanism i'd ever built but I had spent time with Stu. I had looked at what he was doing, which was really complicated. I mean, it was almost mind-boggling about how is this thing going to work, you know? What, what does that bit do, you know? Right. Um, whereas I believe in, you know, keep it simple, stupid. And so, you yes. know, my mechanism <laughs> wasn't going to come out of the skull. I literally acrylic'd it. I said, oh, we, we, we'll take a bicycle cable from the bicycle shop down the road and we'll just acrylic that cable into the skull, right? That's in there. That's permanent. That ain't going anywhere, yeah. right? You know? Um, but the point was that it never broke down. And so 
uh, that was how, you know, that came about. And I, you know, in that, in that video you're talking about, I got quite emotional because there is, when you have spent 13 years striving to reach a certain point in, in your career and you've faced all those periods of unemployment, you faced all those challenges, those times when someone gave you a chance and you did your best and maybe they didn't employ you for 16 weeks. Maybe they only employed you for the two days. Right. You went through that and it was it wasn't it wasn't just, uh, you know, a couple of days. It was 13 years trying to reach that pinnacle. And when when we're talking about the second Star Wars, we all knew this was the cream of the crop. This it's was a yeah. movie everyone was waiting for. Everybody was going to look at that. And I knew when I saw the first day's rushes, I knew that I was, um, that I'd done something that people were not going to forget. And yeah. it was oh. that turning point, oh. that point in, in your life. And it was very emotional. You know, I sat in the, in the, in the viewing theater with a tear or two running down my face because I knew that that 60 hours that we put in, in three days, working all day and all night, sleeping for two hours at a time on the floor. I'd sleep on the floor while the, the, the trainee was soldering two bits together. And then he'd wake me up when he was finished and he'd sleep on the floor while I fixed the next two bits together and, and got to a point where I woke him up and said, do this. And I'd sleep on the floor. You know, all of that suddenly came to fruition. So, yes, of course, it was a it was a, a very emotional moment. And and talking to David, that was the first time that I've, I'd ever really talked to anyone about it. And uh and so I got kind of teary on camera, which I'm a bit embarrassed about, but it is what Don't it is. Don't you, you know? dare be. Mm -hmm. That was that that brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. I gotta say, like I, I, you could feel the amount of effort and work and heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears that went into this process, and the way you described it as working, uh, you know, sixty hours in three days. That's that's unfathomable. So to actually like for that intense relatively in the grand scheme of things short amount of time i can all but guarantee it did not feel very short while you were living in that moment but uh you know three days having accomplished something that here we are 40 years later over 40 years later still talking about still gushing over still uh you know getting merchandise getting mm -hmm. children these days like my my three-year-old daughter knows on site who yoda is and who sure. like like is it's it's this iconic piece of history that right. as you say right. people won't forget so to get a little bit emotional about that but i'm i'm getting emotional on your behalf just talking about it so okay, it's well, uh, cool. it's a beautiful beautiful thing you've created and uh, and and gifted the world with certainly well it, you know once again i always say this was a team effort you know i wasn't the only guy that was certainly, there certainly. someone else that was really important was wendy midner Wendy was uh, the go-between between the Muppets and myself. Huh. And while Stu and I were working on, uh, you know, Yoda's head, she made the body and she sculpted the hands and she sculpted the feet. Uh, I made, I phoned those, but she was putting all of that together. She was one of the puppeteers. She looked after it on the set. Uh, you know, I, I say there, there's a whole group of Yoda guys um, 
team effort. I like Absolutely. to I, I like to say, uh, you asked me where the inspiration for Yoda came from. Yeah, uh, the answer to that was they they paid me, but um, they, you know, <laughs> they, um, they the truth Green. is that people think people think of Ralph Macquarie's drawings when they think of how Yoda was designed. Um, Yoda, all the early drawings were done by Joe Johnson, not by Ralph Macquarie. Ralph Macquarie oh, did one series of drawings that were influential, and none of them looked like Yoda. Yoda started out as a as a Smurf, as a, a blue yeah. character he with a blue. beard yeah. and a little pointy hat, and um, and at one point he he was a garden gnome in kinky boots. Uh, thank God we didn't stop at that point. But, you know, all of those were done, you know, by the illustrators. So I like to say that the illustrators were the sperm donors. And, <laughs> and Stuart, Stuart was Yoda's dad. And Wendy and I delivered the baby. And we had help from the guys from the special effects department, from uh, my, my the, the the trainee who helped me, another trainee who sculpted the lip extension and made uh, the lip look uh, much longer on film than it does on any of the Lucasfilm uh, Yodas that you see in exhibit because they're pulling them out of the mold and we changed the way he looked after he came out of the mold. You know, various things. Mm. There's, a, there's a team of people there who, uh, you know, all contributed something. You know, the, uh, uh, Deep Roy, who was that that little person who oh, got no inside way. the Yoda, Yoda suit and was the I person... I did not know that, that was him. Yeah, it was. Um, and so, um, so, you know, all of those people you know, were influential in the in the making of Yoda. Um, just some of us were, you know, more key than some of the others. It, so, it, yeah. it takes a village to raise a Yoda. So it's... Uh, yeah, right, it, exactly. It, yeah. it truly was a team effort. And, uh, you know, each of you deserve, you know, every bit of praise and every bit of, you know, uh, glory. And here we are, again, 40 years later saying, well done. Great job. Like you're still mm. getting that. It's, it's, it's yeah. iconic. It truly is. And I find so it well. so fascinating the, the difference and obviously not just feeling it myself, but to hear you describe the difference going into a new hope and then the difference from being a part of a new hope and then going into empire strikes back, like just yeah, the difference in terms difference. of what, yeah. And in, in terms of what you were actually right. doing and where you had come from, um, it's just but very the production, fascinating. The production was different too because the first one, no one expected it to be anything uh, exceptional. Right. And by the time we got to the second one, you know, it was the it it broken all the box office records, and we knew that we were the guys that were suddenly all the cutting edge guys. We went from being. Uh, you know, a bunch of guys hoping that we'd get another job to being the it team that everybody wanted on their next movie. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Nick, we've taken up far too much of your time already. So uh, would you, how about this? How about we end with a quick game, I'll call it, of this or that, where it's just some quick rapid fire questions and you say which one of them you'd prefer. Again, there's no right, no wrong answers. It's just purely this or that. Okay. Uh, Andrew, do you want to go back and forth or should we, one of us just rapid fire it? What do you think? Uh, let's go back and forth. Okay. Cause I, I really one. want to ask the last one. <laughs> and we can, we, we can, 
Certainly. <laughs> so you, you start. Okay, good. I'll start us off here. Luke or Leia? Which one do you think is more powerful in the Force? Uh, I think Luke. Han or Chewie? Uh, are we still talking about who's the most powerful? No, this is just like personal preference, no. love of oh, character. Okay. Preference. Yeah. All right, Chewie. Who do you like? Chewie. Boba Fett or Vader? Uh, They're tough. They're tough. Yeah, I, I'd have to say Vader. <laughs> A New Hope or Empire? Empire Strikes Back. Empire. Me too. <laughs> A New Hope or Return of the Jedi? A New Hope. Millennium Falcon or the Slave One? Oh, Millennium Falcon. <laughs> easy, easy. Uh, okay, The Mandalorian or animated Clone Wars or animated Star Wars shows? The Mandalorian. You want to do the next one again, Pat? Sure. Uh, Star Wars books or TV shows? Uh, TV shows. And this is the last one. Oh, yes. Andy I, wanted this I one. I have to ask it because I've been wanting to ask you this ever since Pat mentioned that we were going to get the opportunity to talk to you. Live action or CGI version of Yoda? <laughs> well, that's that's kind of a stupid question, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's an obvious question. Yes, it's an obvious question. It's got to be. It's got to be live action. Live action. So it brings me just really to a really quick talking point. I think just comment ever so quickly because it is a stupid obvious question in the sense of obviously your contribution to the live action yoda what are your thoughts on the cgi yoda because in episode one and episode two um they went a different direction i know uh, episode two and episode three sorry episode one they yeah. still had the the puppet I, but i lobbied them i say i lobbied them i wrote to them whether they have actually read what i wrote or they didn't i don't know but i i lobbied them to keep yoda as a puppet in episode one because i was afraid that they'd make him digital um yeah. and they did and when yep. i saw it i was kind of embarrassed that i had encouraged them in that direction because i i was uh, i thought that the digital version that they did for episode two was much closer than the than the the yoda that they built for episode one i i think hmm. personally i yeah. feel um i i it's water under the bridge but um i i also had written that i thought nick dubman was a good person to um, head uh, creature effects for episode one because apart from anything else he had the continuity he was one of the trainees that was in our department for empire strikes back and so he knew how steward had built the prototype yoda because he worked with him very directly um on empire strikes back and and really more or less um kind of filled in my space on Return of the Jedi when I went on and did other movies. So um, he just seemed like the right person. He knew exactly how Yoda had been built. So right. I really couldn't believe that they made Yoda out of a different material, which was going to be heavier, which made him a lot less uh, uh, maneuverable. They built uh, mechanisms that were much more radio controlled, which meant that you didn't get the organic 
feeling that you got in some of the others. And uh, they made him out of a transparent material instead of an opaque material. And they re-sculpted him rather than pulling a plug oh. out of the mold oh. and using the original sculpt. I mean, I couldn't yeah. imagine that they could have made any more mistakes than that. Yeah, because when I, mean, I recall seeing episode one, the I, I found the eyes of the, the Yoda in episode one to be very different than I recalled him well, in the I, original I'll trilogy. You, I'll tell you what was said to me about it, because I talked to them about it afterwards. And they said, oh, but, you know, Yoda has a different, uh, you know, emotional feed, uh, you know, through this one. He's feeling more angry and he doesn't want to... Uh, he, he didn't say at the time he doesn't want Luke, uh, doesn't want uh, uh, Anakin to become a Jedi. He doesn't think he's right. And so um, we wanted to sculpt hmm. him with this different attitude. Well, when you sculpt a puppet, a puppet isn't necessarily like a, a, a character. You have to sculpt that puppet in a central position that's going to allow Neutral. you to make him look happy or sad or, or whatever else along the way. I mean, if he's a character who's supposed to be miserable all the time, uh, then you give him a neutral, miserable look, but still leave the opportunity for him to smile and look like a sad person smiling. Um, mm -hmm. But um, you don't just completely re-sculpt the character from scratch. And the sculptor who did it was is... is a very, very talented uh, sculptor and does, you know, really, really good work on uh, a lot of different things. I don't really know how we, how we, how we got to that on that particular mm -hmm. movie. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that because the, um, because the animation on episode two was better than the live action on episode one, that, that was the right way to go you know right. it just didn't build the puppet yeah. right in the first place right yep. um yep. and uh you know i i presume you're aware that i've been rebuilding yoda for the last uh, uh yes. few years yes. and um and that is that is built exactly the same way as the backup Yoda was that I that I put together and what you've seen actually so far isn't the finished isn't the finished Yoda we have oh, uh, not quite the um, the eyes that I have in that Yoda are are a little different to Yoda's eyes um, because I need something more durable and less breakable for me to drag from conventions <laughs> and through airports and various other things. And the, right. the mechanism on it is, has been designed for one puppeteer instead of four puppeteers. So it's slightly different. It's a, a, it's my, I call it my light version of uh, Yoda. Um, Diet the, Yoda. The, the, one that is coming, the one that is coming now um, has the eyes painted by the same artist that painted uh, oh. the original eyes in uh, in '79, and a costume that has been archivally matched to the original costume. So, um, and that will that one will be in the in the museum here, um, rather than being dragged from place to place. Fantastic. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I did that because I, I started it um, just because I, I felt that we needed to show 
how that technology was done for that point in time. And I, I, you know, to be quite honest, there haven't been many characters since that have captured people's hearts in quite the same way that uh, that Yoda no. did for you know what the, absolutely for the correct. world's first animatronic puppet. You know, mm -hmm. certainly, you know, outside of the uh, you know the ensemble of like the Muppets or Sesame Street, where it takes like literally an ensemble of all of these sculpted puppet animatronic characters together as opposed to like a standalone you're mm -hmm. I, you know I, I think you're absolutely but correct. also also the muppets weren't really animatronic in that sense they weren't glove puppets. No, they weren't socks but they <laughs> you know they had moving mouths and eyes that might roll around just because gravity took the took the eyeball one way oh, or, or the other it, way yeah. they they didn't have the mechanism it wasn't until um, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth that they got into that. And even then, I don't think um, they had the subtlety that Frank Oz brought to Yoda. Frank Oz mm -hmm. is also, you know, you, you cannot underestimate the impact of uh, Frank Oz's performance and also Kurt's courage to give Yoda time. I felt that was one of the things mm. in episode eight. They rushed through Yoda. It was like they were afraid people would look at it for too long. Oh. And they shot through that scene. You know, if we had shot through the scene of Yoda raising the X-Wing out of the swamp, people wouldn't have fallen in love with him the way that they mm -hmm. did. If you hadn't had those <laughs> so moments, true. those moments where he Let sat there and went, and went, that's is why you fail, you know? It's like, you know, if they'd said, that is why you fail, and moved on, cut, you're gone, you know? It just wouldn't have had the same impact. We yeah, really totally got agree. to know him as a personality. And Frank Oz performed a puppet as if it was a, 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 a person. Uh -huh. and, and it was so effective that the director would give instructions to the puppet instead of giving instructions right. to the puppeteers. Yep. Oh, I remember hearing those stories, like how he's talking mm. directly to it and looking him in the eyes and, like, oh, sure. wait, no, it's a, it takes a second because he's so believable in his performances that uh, you just think it's another cast member. You expect to see them yeah. at the, you know, uh, at the lunch table with you afterwards, but <laughs> there he's in his box. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, Nick, they, uh, like... We got to have you back, man. This is this has been absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, and, uh, you know, I may have to cut okay, this. Okay, well, well, we can talk about the rest of my career then. And then and then we'll talk about sailing around the Caribbean. Yeah. Oh, that's being, what I'm talking about. Yeah. And making, you know, uh, uh, living a life as a as an artist uh, or or as an author. You know, I every you time I get a little I get a little tired of what I'm doing. I, I reinvent myself and make something else. So, you know, I always thought I'd like to be an artist. So, I, you know, I'm sitting in the Caribbean. You know, I'll do that. It's all based on the same principles. If you believe in yourself and if you push yourself, you can, you know, if you look confident and, and you can make people believe that you should be there and they should have faith in you to do something, then do They'll it. let you do it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So love it. You have to go for it. Absolutely love it. Thank um, you so much. Nick, if anybody, can... if anybody wants to find me, they can find yes. me on Facebook as Nick Maley. 
uh, or they can, if, if they have any trouble with that, you know, just look for um, uh, Yoda Guy Movie Exhibit. That's on Facebook as well. We've got lots of websites. If you go to thatyodaguy.com, that's a hub, and it'll send you off in different directions depending upon whether you want to buy something or whether you just want stories about making movies or or whatever it is that you, uh, you, you know, that you want. So I think the it's... biography is at nickmailey.com. I mean, there's lots of options. Perfect. Fantastic. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely. And I'll give a shout out to Starnet as well. Your other, um, uh, yes. I think it's every Sunday you run these. Uh, Pretty these... much every Sunday. Uh, you know, uh, what, what I do is I do a, a webcast. I do it through Facebook and YouTube as well. But, you know, anybody who subscribes to to Starnet events group will, you know, every Sunday they'll have the option to see something. And they're all about creativity. They're all about either uh, people who made a career for themselves. They're, they may be about distinguished people who, who made great, you know, famous movies, or they might be about making armor for cosplay, or they might be about making props, or they might That's be so about uh, something else. We have a lot of range of, uh, of different people, and I, I try to do them every Sunday, although I think this Sunday I might drop because the person I was expecting to get um, has just told me they can't do it, and we're going to have to put it off, put them off for three weeks or something, and then it's already Friday night, so yeah, something oh. else up is getting a bit close to it. But oh, for um, sure. But you know, generally speaking, and those those sit around for quite a while. Uh, so anybody oh, who joins anyone who joins Starnet Events Group now will be able to look back at a lot of the videos uh, that we um, that we've done, you know, during the course of this year. And we started to do it as a way of thanking the people who support us through this period where we where the museum has no income other than through those people on the internet that are that are helping us so we have a patreon page where people subscribe and pay you know five dollars or ten dollars or oh, yeah we do have some that pay a hundred dollars you know to support Worth us <laughs> each month uh, and so we started to do starnet just as a way of giving them something back for for that support but it's taken a life of its own uh, if anybody wants to do that by the way you go to patreon.com forward slash f y s f which is follow your star foundation and um and you'll find us there absolutely beautiful nick thank you so much for your time tonight um i i can't thank you enough this is you know, as, as a lifelong Star Wars fan, someone who I, I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't know who Yoda was. I don't remember not knowing Star Wars. So it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. And again, you're always welcome on the show. Um, we'll be more than happy to help support you any way that we can. Everyone, please go check out Nick's book. Check out Starnet. Check out anything that's on the uh, uh, in that Yoda guy hub that Yoda guy hub. Um, it's, it's nothing but wonderful content and so much entertainment and just the, you know, the least we could do to give back to, uh, uh, to you as well as the other creators who have brought us so much joy over the years. So again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. So, so much. Well, thank you. And, uh, if anybody does want that book, the easiest way to get it is through Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You can buy it online. Um, I think I get about 13 cents every time they sell one. 
Um, uh, you know, don't expect to make a fortune as a as a writer. By the way, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't really work out very well unless you sell millions of copies. But anyway, the point is that all these principles that I've been talking about are in that book. And because I didn't want to bore anybody, I made sure that there weren't any chapters that were longer than one page. And um, and so you know, it's a very easy book to read. You read one page a day at breakfast in the morning, and it just helps keep you on track as you head on your route to find the destiny that you want. Yeah. One of the things that's in there, it says, don't let the insecurities of who you are today spoil the possibilities of who you're destined to become. Oh, Oh, we got to end on that note. That's beautiful. Yes. That's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Nick, again, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you soon, I hope. I'm sure you will. Okay. Thanks so much, thank Nick. You. Thank you. So, hey, that was just amazing. Thanks a lot again to Nick. Um, super yeah. excited to, to have had him on. Like, I can't even, we could talk to him for like three hours. Yeah. And what's what's really cool about the interview we just had with Nick is that like I fully kind of went into it just wanting to talk about Star Wars and of course we'd want to just talk about Star Wars. This is a Star Wars podcast. However, there like his insight on life and everything he told us about sort of his upbringing and leading to him leading him to where he got was so fascinating. Like I feel like we could have talked to him for hours and hours. Honestly, I would have run through a wall after listening to him talk about it like that. Like, I just feel so empowered. And so, like, he's so right, though. You just, you know, just one centimeter each day towards your end goal. If, as long as you're not, you know, you're not going back, you're not doubting yourself. And it's that fear. It is that inherent fear that keeps us back from so many great things. But, um, hey, he's living proof that you can fake it till you make it. And, uh, uh, you know, really have an impact on your world living at your dreams. So, again... Thank you, Nick, and uh, looking forward to having you back on the show. Um, uh, can't wait to hear more more from you and, uh, uh, you know, everyone. Go follow Nick and all of his platforms. Buy that book. I know I'm going to pick up a copy um, immediately uh, and looking forward to, again, just, just reading that over my breakfast and, and getting the day started on the right foot. Yeah, I can't wait to, to read that, honestly. Like, just hearing about it, and it's just fantastic. And... Um... Just his outlook on life to me was just brilliant um, yeah. and to never give up. And it, it actually reaffirms us doing this podcast, right? And can giving this our all and really doing it, like just to not give up. I thought, yeah, can't 100%. thank him enough. Can't thank him forward. enough. Yep. Can't wait to chat um, with him again. Yeah. So I just want to thank everyone again for hanging out with us today, for listening to the interview with Nick, uh, listening to our updates and us kind of banter back and forth. As Pat said, we're going to hope to release today's episode in probably episode four and episode 4.5, as Pat mentioned. Uh, but again, thanks a lot. Please punch that subscribe button. Give us a rating. We always greatly appreciate it. For sure. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter now as well, uh, at Good Morning Alderaan. Uh, if you have any questions or if you'd like anything to discuss or if there's any corrections you'd like to highlight for us you can send us an email gmalderon at gmail.com uh yeah and on behalf of my co-host and i as well as nick just want to say thanks again for listening and hey always be a jedi in the streets
and a Sith in the sheets. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye.